Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson, and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. It's our imperfections to let other people in. Rather than be the full, you know, unbelievable sort of airport sort of text, perfect boss. No, 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 I'm good at this. I can do this, this and this. But actually, this I'm rubbish at. That's where others come in. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson. And today I'm joined by Jeff Turrell. Jeff's the co-founder of CarCloud. CarCloud's positioned as a life hack for consumers. It's a tool of convenience that also provides users with insight and data, which would traditionally have sat with vendors. They're a team of consumer champions giving people access to the data they need to make the best decisions around car ownership, including true miles per gallon, depreciation rates, finance costs, and more. With a background in engineering, Jeff spent most of his career in the automotive industry, beginning his career at Vauxhall Motors before developing his career with Lexus and then Porsche. Jeff joins us today to share his insight as a leader and a human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, Jeff. It's great to have you with us. Well, thank you for inviting me, Amy. Uh, Great to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So can you tell us a little bit about CarCloud and the organisation that you're um, leading and what you're working towards, please? Sure. So we've all got used to managing virtually every aspect of our lives uh, digitally, um, be it taxis, your takeaways, your trades. You can think of a brand. It mm-hmm. immediately comes to mind, except, of course, the management of your car. So it's our second highest household cost. Uh, an average car in the UK spends 4% of its life being used. So it's an extraordinarily high and sometimes like sunk cost. And myself and my business partner, Paul, uh, we, having worked in the car industry for 50 years between us, decided that there had to be a better way to car. In part, that was about providing a digital convenience solution. So we built uh, CarCloud. Fantastic. And so where we've just come from, so it's been four and a half years there or thereabouts that you've launched, since you launched the business? Well, yeah, so we, we found the business was founded in June 2018. And then the first two years, really, were just scoping, trying to understand okay. the market fit concept. So just just trying to understand the um, the the broad idea of digital car management. That sounds like it's incredibly broad. What does that mean to people? What are the, what are the practical aspects of that when people are so used to sort of having a box file at home with a load of receipts in it that they just think, I better hold on to those and I suppose mm-hmm. pass them over to the next person who has the car and you know there's a v5 in a drawer somewhere with a ball of string and a stapler and when you come into insurance you're thinking oh there's there's who is who's that insured with and going through mm-hmm. emails the whole thing is just sort of all over the place we were trying to understand what does the convenience play look like what does the compliance play look like and then of course what does it look like to help people save money and drive revenue mm-hmm. so we spent a good two years scoping that um in a way, in hindsight, good timing, because we then crashed into the pandemic, mm-hmm. we into lockdown. So we were then in a situation where we weren't able to get funding for the business when we thought we would in that very early stage of a pandemic. And whilst that was painful at the time, like so many of the situations, of course, it was in hindsight a wonderful thing because we're a business that's effectively, not so born in the pandemic, but we've been incubated through the pandemic. And I think mm-hmm. in the way that we've all made such massive behavioural changes, including what we're doing in this format today, mm-hmm. um, that has been extraordinarily useful. So whilst the business, as you're right, was actually found in June 2018, we didn't actually start marketing our app until January, the year just gone by. So a year and a month um, mm-hmm. before today. Fantastic. And so as a leader of that kind of organisation in that stage of your life cycle, what kind of challenges are you up against at the moment? 
Well, I think the the broad human challenge is not so much spinning plates, um, but but more focus within that. So I think once you make the decision to go and do your own thing, mm-hmm. and everybody and many many people who listen to your podcast will be thinking either they're doing that or I'm doing it. I effectively it's your name above the door, even if it's not your brand. Mm-hmm. Once you do that, the one thing you know forever is that okay, you don't have to answer to a boss that you don't like because you are that person, so you have to put up with that. But at the same time, it never really leaves you. It never mm-hmm. leaves you. You're never not thinking about it from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed and sometimes in your sleep. Mm-hmm. And that then means that you have to put some discipline into how you manage all these tasks so they don't just become a big, sludgy, sort of inefficient thing. So the first thing is a personal management about finding space, particularly with the move to working high, in a hybrid way, Uh, because some of the structure has moved and then for the business itself we are the interesting about digital business is a relatively simple business model which is we need to attract users at an affordable sustainable rate Mm -hmm. we need to deliver really good strong positive content and features to the to, to to our audience and then over time we need to be able to monetize that situation in a way that they are entirely comfortable and buy into so in mm-hmm. the broadest sense that's that's the work we're on with right now yeah and, and in terms of the team that you have around you at the moment talk to me about about them because they must have been built in this new era post-pandemic era yeah so we're we're just um we're just at the stage where we are We've just taken our. So I'll explain the. What I'll do is I'll take you back to the funding side of things that explains okay. how where the business, if you like the, the part of the business where we are now. So we, um, and I think this is a really interesting proposition for for a lot of people. We funded on a crowdfunding platform called Cedars back in mm-hmm. quarter four last year, twenty twenty. So we did twenty twenty one. Sorry, we did all of our. Um, testing during the pandemic and as we came out of that we prepared ourselves and we prepared a campaign to fund on a platform called Cedar. So we generated our seed um, uh, revenue to then sorry our seed investment to then go and basically prove the hypotheses about are people ready for digital car management are they are they they ready for this at the time it was just myself and Paul since then what we've done is we've then through last year we moved very quickly to have over a hundred thousand users on the platform in 10 months so things have grown really really quickly mm-hmm. but in truth it's myself it's paul it's our marketing manager and we have a compliance director which was our first hire mm-hmm. everything else is being worked via a network of um partners who can be freelancers or agencies and, and my experience over a long time now for me has, has told me that the best ratio is about 4.5 people working on the business outside the business to one person inside. So that for every person inside, you, you're managing effectively an average of four and a half individuals that are then okay. delivering in on the business. And that's the model we're trying to build, recognizing some of the fantastic enforced flexibility that the pandemic has brought to us. Yeah. And so I guess that's another additional layer of complexity then when you're leading people that aren't necessarily employed by the business, but they're, am I right in understanding they're contracting flexibly? Yeah, so we've got a core. So mm-hmm. I think the, the the view, my thought has always been that you can outsource everything except your thinking. Mm-hmm. So when you think about what decisions do you make about outsourcing, the one thing you can't afford to do is let your thinking go. Mm-hmm. So there can always be people who can do better in all sorts of ways, do more efficiently, do uh, more cost effectively. But what you've got to retain is if you like, if you like your, your company IP. So Mm -hmm. we're looking to build that out. But, but even though we would look to have four and a half million users on the platform, uh, by midway through our fifth year, we, 
don't see ourselves going beyond about 30 people mm-hmm. um, because of that because of that model there that you were asking me about, which is how are we then managing people outside? But that could be agencies, that could mm-hmm. be a mix of in-house software developers and out-house, yeah. onshore, offshore, um, you know, the whole plethora of, of the mix of talents. Because the fasc- fascinating thing now about mixing the talents is that sometimes you can be at risk at losing the best of someone but bring them inside because they can sometimes bring you more because they're in a competitive environment they have other customers yeah. they work on other campaigns you just get a bit more when they come inside they're, do- they're doing a very different job um, mm-hmm. and i think that's that's an interesting challenge for all business leaders i mean one of the key challenges yeah absolutely i suppose you've, you've got that agility and that and that third party perspective almost if they've got innovation as part of their role they're seeing what other organizations are doing and what's working for them yeah, and seeing what what innovation is going on in there in the in the mm-hmm. partner organisation we're, we're working with. As I say, yeah. the you know the beauty of a pure digital play is that you can manage your steady growth in fixed costs whilst your variable income is grow, growing at, at a much greater rate. And that means, with the best will in the world, you want to have a healthy core team. But as I say, even with four and a half million users on board, we wouldn't see that as much above thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 30, 30 direct car cloud uh, employees. Yes, yeah. And, and can you talk to us about your journey into leadership then? Because this this model seems very different to your roles in the past in terms of the way that that business operates. But how did you get started in, in leadership roles and how did it evolve? Yeah, so it, it's an interesting one. I, I had a pretty standard back when I went to university. I did engineering. Uh, it was sort of a safe bet because it was a vocational degree and there was it was one of those periods of quite high unemployment. And back then when you did engineering, you needed to get sponsored. Uh, I was sponsored by Vauxhall uh, in mm-hmm. Luton because it was the one that was nearest my mum's house and I wasn't sure what I was going to do you know, in the holidays. So yep, um, yep. it was like, you know how often you fall into things and then you, you just find a path there. And yes. when I graduated, I moved to the commercial side of the business, which I was more interested in. And then I moved through a series of uh, roles where I was doing what you would call general commercial management. So it was a mixture of marketing roles, sales roles, dealer development, you know, light level economic forecasting, market forecasting, all sorts of things. I moved to Toyota um, because I was really interested in what the Japanese were doing around manufacturing, particularly Toyota. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I moved to Porsche as marketing director uh, and then subsequently CEO of um, Porsche, Great Britain and Ireland. Mm -hmm. Um, And I suppose if you look at that journey, I went from General Motors, which at the time was the largest car company in the world soon overtaken by toyota which is the one i went to and then i went off to porsche which at the time was family owned and tiny and that journey to some extent as well as going through the leadership roles what it prepares you for is a move to something that feels more like a startup it sounds a bit crazy for a really established brand like porsche but it was making a relatively small number of cars uh, Mm -hmm. with all the risks of being in a high value market a premium market where when things are good they're great and when they're bad mm-hmm. they're really awful and cash is absolutely swallowed up at a rate of knots and that's why really no no none of the premium car manufacturers even porsche now which was taken over by volkswagen group in 2012 none of them mm-hmm. remain independent because the cash burn when in the down times are too tough but mm-hmm. what porsche was more like um it felt more like a startup it's more agile it was more thinking that way. And I suppose if I'd been in General Motors or Toyota in my career, it would have been hard to make the move 
to that more self-driven aspect, non-corporate aspect mm -hmm. of being at um, uh, doing what I'm doing now with CarCloud. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons, the main inspiration for me for, car, for, for building CarCloud was that from going from selling Novas and Astras and Corsas and Vectras mm -hmm. through to 911s and KNs and Porsche Taycans, the over that 25 year journey to be honest for the customers the only thing that changed in terms of their customer experience not the cars but the customer experience was probably the quality of the coffee nothing had okay. changed the, the the model was locked in a model that henry ford had bequeathed us mm -hmm. back in the 1920s so that was really what that's what's driven the 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 obsessive passion to say like so many people we, we work in industry we think i like the people it provides mm -hmm. a living but you know what we just need to do better for our customers and that's what really gave birth to Car Cloud, um, and I'm conscious in all of that. I haven't actually answered your core question, which is how did I get into leadership? So, like most people, I would honestly say that I was I I went through the system at a time of ladders, and if you were lucky, you sort of got pushed up those ladders. Um, mm -hmm. And being totally honest about that, some of that might be about um old school style of that if you're male it's easier in the car industry and all this sort of stuff you don't realize what those privileges are until you look back and think, oh actually i got pushed up a ladder that somebody who wasn't my gender or wasn't my race might not have done so i try i try to think about that because i think about the world that my, my children are, are going to the world of work and, and it's less about ladders and more about cards have you got cards in your hand can you grab a new experience okay. and i think that's mm -hmm. one of the things about coming out of corporate life and starting a start up from scratch is you're saying yeah. okay forget the ladders they're gone now it's all about grabbing cards and yes. and every minute of every day you can grab a new card a new experience that you haven't haven't yet done because that's the nature of running your own your own gig yeah that's a great analogy great analogy and and in terms of the the additional learnings that have come from the development or the evolution of your leadership career are there are there learnings that you sort of are there any sort of if i knew then what i know now moments from a leadership perspective is there a blooper reel that you are happy to share yeah i think that um inevitably there are mistakes you make that are that don't stand the test of time so you can look back and say oh well you know it was the 90s you know you know, cool Britannia and all that rubbish. It was like that's how you know that's how one rolled. And you look back and you think, no, no, no. You've got to find you've got to find a lens that isn't uh, relative, that is absolute. And say, what are my values? What do they stand for? So, uh, I'll give an example of that. We are when we recruit, and I mean when we recruit, we recruit we're talking as much as external partners mm -hmm. as we are um, internal. We yeah. start with. Um, some very, very simple values that we've defined over time and what helps you thrive at Car Cloud. And these are, I mean, they are pretty universal, but very simply, uh, curiosity that leaves no stone unturned, mm -hmm. um, enthusiasm that is is in, in, infectious, uh, and, and an obsession with results, delivering results. So not purely execution, but an obsession with results. Mm -hmm. And wrapped around that is that when you're under pressure, and I realise the language is a bit pejorative, but broadly speaking, that when you get under pressure, do you move towards hero or, or or victim in terms of the degree to which you blame others or help? And we we recruit around that, even in our own, you know, Brilliant. nascent early way. Now, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have. I, I don't know if there's any value in going back twenty years and thinking, well, why don't I do it early? Because I think you almost have to go on that leadership journey 
yeah. To, yeah. to learn that there's something there is something about getting the scars to to, mm-hmm. to come back to thinking okay well having gone through you know employing people who think absolutely fantastic and great on paper and all the rest of it what why has that not worked why after 15 months is this not delivered well actually because we didn't have a a value match and it's not that's not to put pressure on people coming into the business it's actually about any relationship it doesn't matter what the hierarchy is you've got to meet around a set of values yeah absolutely absolutely the hero or victim is it's a good wraparound to have because it, it's it's all encompassing isn't it in terms of the values and how you want people to interact with your clients and how you want them to you know, work with, within the business i think it's great yeah and you think about I and mean, we all know that there'll be people um listening to this or you can just immediately think about those rare but wonderful people that when under pressure they move towards hero in the sense they start helping mm-hmm. everyone else out when there's a problem they really yeah. they really show a sort of internal natural leadership sometimes become superhero just lift everyone mm-hmm. with them and we've also worked with those people that for whatever reason it's not you know it is a bit pejorative because it can be that it's not somebody's fault is the wrong word but nonetheless that under pressure the first thing that happens is everyone else gets blamed that people don't take mm-hmm. responsibility and just just it's not just about personal characteristics, it's about as a leader creating the culture where people feel comfortable to say, well, I'm not just going to start firing at other people to self-protect. Mm-hmm. I'm in a situation where I can make mistakes. I am encouraged to fail. And as a result, I can feel confident about helping people out rather than running to cover and ca- yeah. covering, covering my backside. Yeah, yeah. The team of one then, doesn't it? It becomes quite quickly. And, and so your leadership style then, where does that where did that come from is that influenced by someone from your past is it books that you've absorbed is it watching somebody in that process how did you develop your leadership style um i mean style's probably quite a strong word for it but i thank you for that okay. i think it's um <laughs> I, I i i think it's probably in the early question you mentioned about what mistakes do you make and you reflect upon mm-hmm. i think in truth uh the bad boss syndrome means that we've got endless case examples not of really great uh, leadership, but but things that you think, mm, uh, I, I, w- I would it's a reminder not to do. But there mm-hmm. have been um, a handful of people in my working career where you think, wow, that is that's really impressive. And normally, in my case, it's something about consistency over time. I think okay. that's a really hard thing to deliver. So it's a very very obvious example. And I was never in her direct employ, but Queen Elizabeth II was an extraordinary example of somebody who was consistent over such a long period of time. Now, Mm -hmm. if someone can maintain really good consistency for four years in a marketing director role, then then massive thumbs up from me because that's very, very hard to do. And when I say consistency, things like always, always having time for people, always making the space, always understanding how they make their audience the hero of their story, be it a Mm -hmm. colleague, a customer, stakeholders, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And and are there characters from your past that have influenced you? Do you know, like, like you said, you referenced Queen Elizabeth and you um, sort of suggested that there were people that you were surrounded with. But is there a particular character that you, as you were coming up through your leadership career, that you said, yes, that person, I want to almost emulate that element of their character? Doesn't well, it's exactly that. that. I, I end up emulating. It's almost like one of those old-fashioned um, sort of books where you'd put different bits of clothes on a on a, on a doll i'm really showing my age now but but <laughs> but the point being that you would pick i've not and i was asked this recently for, for in in another respect about icons is there a you mm-hmm. know personal life and work life icon and i honestly couldn't think 
of an icon in the sense that it has a sort of almost demagogish sort of aspect mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that you're almost, you know, spiritually celebrating. And it's never been that. It's been a quite pragmatic, wow, okay, there's some really good behaviour. Yes. And I'm getting that right now. So today, uh, outside of Car Cloud, I have a very brief part-time role as um, uh, NHS uh, board member, non-exec director, and chair mm -hmm. of a collaborative mental health trust. So I've got my appraisal later, and uh, here I am, you know, really late on in my career, and the person who's doing my appraisal, the chair of the trust, she is the ex, uh, she's ex-chief constable, and when I look at what she does, how she operates, and what she's been through to become mm -hmm. a senior woman in policing... It's deeply impressive and there's loads still to learn. So mm -hmm. so it's not fully formed. There's actually quite a few jigsaw pieces missing still. Mm -hmm. And the great thing is you meet people all the time. You think, okay, I'll just take a little bit of that. So it's sort of a hodgepodge. Yeah. It's a, you know, it really is a, it is a, a bit, bit of a mix rather than thinking, oh, there's, there was a flash of inspiration person in my life. Yeah, yeah. I often think that the great leaders are the ones that almost take all the data or as much data as possible and then you filter it through your your own perspective and your own situation so if you're you could look at someone who's in a completely different industry from a completely different background and take elements of their experience take elements of their leadership style and apply it to your own situation i think those those leaders rather than the ones that sort of go, i'm going to be the next branson or i'm going to be the next elon musk yeah. i think that's yeah. that's that, in my personal opinion is not the way forward i'd agree and i think the, the really the really interesting thing about the people that, I, that I've always sort of admired and wanted to think, okay, how would I emulate? Not, not, you know, just copy, but what, what, what if mm -hmm. that could be helpful to me in terms of the way in which I hope to lead and, and uh, support and inspire. And I think the interesting thing is the one thing that's really clear is a real comfort with imperfection, actually understanding it, trying to be perfect. Mm -hmm. A, there's probably no such thing, certainly not in a human being, but also, yeah. That it's our imperfections that let other people in, that allow mm -hmm. people. They, they rather than be the full, you know, unbelievable sort of airport, you know, sort of text, perfect boss. Say, no, 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 I, I'm good at this. I can do this, this and this. But actually, this I'm rubbish at. And yeah. that's, where, that's where others come in. And I think, you know, being comfortable, because if I look at the colliery, the people that I found the most difficult to work with when I've been being led, and not always male, but because probably the currency is quite male-dominated, it's tend to be those who've got um, low personal confidence and very high ego need. Mm -hmm. so, so it comes across as like a real, you know, absolute superstar. I can do the presentation or the rest of it. Yeah. Because there's that high performative ego. But underneath, because the confidence isn't there, that, that's the thing that ends up being quite a destructive combination. So it's thinking about mm -hmm. that stuff as well, thinking, okay, what, what, what are the risks of being that person or mm -hmm. elements of that person? And... and so it's constantly thinking about what you see and thinking, well, if your motivation as mine is lifelong learning, mm -hmm. um, then you, you, it's there every day. It's in almost every interaction. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that informs your leadership style, doesn't it? Because that's how you're leading your team to have that approach as well, I guess, that comes through. Yeah, and the reason I'm slightly joking, saying I wonder if it is a style or not, because the style almost suggests like a cut of a, a dress or a suit that it's done. But I think the interesting thing now is that, you know, the world we live in, you, if, you, if, you, if you've got the appetite for it, you've got constant adaptability. So it doesn't mm -hmm. really have a start because it's like a chameleon. It's, it's switching all the time. As long as you have to be authentic, you can't be something mm -hmm. you're not. But yeah. if, you, if you can try and hold on to that core, you're, you're, you know, you're constantly changing and developing. So it, 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 
it's less of a style and more of, you know, as, as is often said now, you know, change is the steady state, isn't it? And mm-hmm. transition is the new normal. And you yeah. know, over the past few years, we've experienced that more than ever. Yeah, it's more of an approach. There's absolute power in the vulnerability, I think, in terms of admitting that you're not the finished article, but I'm going to surround myself with great people. I think there's absolute power mm-hmm. in that. And, and in terms of what you're reading at the moment, so I'm always really interested. You see the bookcase behind me, I'm reading all the time. But in terms of what you're reading or consuming in that in that vein of lifelong learning, are there books that have influenced you or articles or podcasts? What what would you share that's been influential? Um, well, obviously, I'm going to say the CEO podcast is top of the list. But um, <laughs> over and above that, I um, have recently got into the high-performance podcast, you know, Jake Humphrey. Um, okay. <laughs> and he has a sports psychologist, quite an eminent sports psychologist, a professor, I think, from Manchester Way, and has worked with a lot of elite athletes. And that's fascinating because it's not it, it, it's an element of, of business people, but then it'll you know draw in a triathlete or a boxer or something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's um, that's a really really interesting listen. I think over time, probably like a lot of people, I found myself migrating away from the you know, reading to, um, you know, to, to, to podcasts and, and the like, just being able to, to consume on the move. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the books have now become more something to do with holiday and, uh, okay. and, and travel and the like. Um, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, there's, a, there's actually quite a lot out there in terms of quasi-political podcasts that are quite interesting about cha- challenging thinking and, and trying to sort of, if you like, get out your bubble, really. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. So, yeah, but I would say the the one that, and it comes to mind only because I, I really only got into it via recommendation of a friend prior, prior to Christmas, but the High Performance Podcast is is uh, is really, really interesting. If you are interested in the idea of how do I become better in a small way at yeah. something, that yeah. sense of personal improvement. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. I will add that one to the list. Thank you. <laughs> and and so in terms of the organisation, so tell us about Crowdcloud and what's going to be happening over the next six, nine, 12 months that you can share with us, please. Sure. So last year was all about, you can imagine with a new business, you're almost trying to sort of prove yourself wrong or prove disprove hypotheses. Mm-hmm. So our play, if you like, was that the world, the world is more than ready for digital car management because you can manage every other part of your life digitally on your phone, on, yeah. your, on your laptop, etc. Um, having had a really, really rapid growth in users with a very low user acquisition cost, the next piece is about taking what we do, which is broadly speaking, if you imagine it's about your car now, so you think about your current car, it's telling you all about the stuff that's stuffed in the drawers, where where is it insured, um, is, is it okay in terms of its provenance, what's the, what's your value and how much does it change this month, are you okay with all your debt, you know, it's all that getting looked after. What we're developing out now is um, a module that moves us into your car now and your next. So getting next right. Because right now, cars, there's 38 million drivers in the UK. Um, With the best one in the world, most people feel some degrees of discomfort with car ownership because they know it's not ideal and there's a massive environmental impact. Yet the solutions for people outside of London in terms of integrated transport are really challenging. You know, if you've got kids Mm -hmm. and you need to sort out charts to get to a and get the kids to support you know, most people need need a car um so or at least in, in the uk so what we're really working on now is 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 your next car so what does it look like to understand if you were buying your next car could you have a look and understand what the next three years costs would look like on a monthly basis 
Okay. What's the equity? What's your equity situation for the 89.5% of people in the UK who finance their cars? Because mm-hmm. there's people are spending an awful lot of money on, you know, traditional uh, financing and, and they, could, they could be saving quite a lot. And right now we're in the teeth of cost of living crisis where you can spend, you know, an hour and a half on, on, on the line to a call centre trying to get 40 quid off your broadband. Yeah. yeah. That outside is something that's the thick end of 500 a month that no one's really looking at. So that's where mm-hmm. we're going next. We're going about what next? How do you shave costs? How do you get this more efficient? And when you're choosing next, how do you get the right? How do you get it right next time? You mm-hmm. know, in a world where people are thinking, OK, well, at some point, I'm probably going to have to have an electric vehicle. Should I have a hybrid next? Do I stick with my mm-hmm. diesel? Does that need to go? All of those complex considerations. And myself and Paul's background, my uh, co-founder is all mm. about bringing that knowledge from the car industry and if you like taking the rug off it and sharing it with people in a way that's yeah. digestible through a beautiful user experience which happens to be app and mobile web and desktop web fantastic fantastic and and so people can just download the app if they're interested in yeah go to the, if user. you search car cloud go to the app store we're just mm-hmm. currently um we're in staging with our website so our okay. grand our plan for growth was to um, test the platform with digital performance marketing, meaning marketing directly to people on mobile in a way that we could then measure the funnel and the drop-off through to through to setting up an account. So that was um, really, that's the part of marketing that I find really exciting, which is the more, mm-hmm. I suppose, my engineering background, the more technical yeah. numbers-based, how do, how do we measure all of this? Um, what we're doing now is we're building out um, our web offer and that's really the next stage of growth, which is to plug our web offer into existing audiences. So there's 38 million car owners out there. They haven't got a solution. There's loads of existing audiences. We've just signed our first contract with um, the UK's biggest uh, news publisher, actually, to plug, if you like, a Powered by Car Cloud plug-in into an existing space. Okay. And that's really the, the me- method of growth. So we have an app. Uh, we now we're in staging with our website, and that website will become a, a plug-in for pre-existing audiences. And you can imagine some of those could be in cars; it could be the AA, or but it could be also a publisher like Top Gear or, or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And that's really the, the the drive of growth. And that's if <laughs> if I weren't in in my time with Car Cloud, if I've learned one thing that really really hits me every day is that. Whatever your business is, you've just got to keep putting one foot after another. So in our case, that's really developing the tech and the marketing each day. And if you imagine mm-hmm. a game of snakes and ladders, we're like throwing the dice each day and moving one square at a time. To, and you've got yeah. to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. partnerships, our partnerships, technical, commercial, investment, they're like the ladders and they move you into a different stratosphere. They move you somewhere different. But if you get them wrong or you manage them in the wrong way, they're like snakes. They just mm-hmm. drop you right back down, even worse where you are. So my big learning lesson is to think about partnerships differently, not in the context of, if you like, what you can get out of them, but what does a sustainable partnership look like for everyone? And I suppose that's been my biggest learning lesson, and certainly in the period through pandemic into where we are now. Yeah, it's a great analogy. It's a great analogy. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you for making time for the, the podcast. It's been great speaking with you and learning about your story. Thanks, Amy. I really appreciate the invitation. It's been, it's been good fun. I've enjoyed it.